If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. Title of my message today is Life After Easter. Life After Easter. We had a great Easter celebration last weekend, didn't we? But as I was preparing for this Sunday, I asked myself this question, what comes next? We had a bigger crowd on Easter Sunday than we've been having. But will this Sunday be back to the usual size crowd? We have our answer, don't we? Will we all go back to our same routines and way of life? Or have we been changed in some way? What should life be like for us after the excitement of Easter weekend? As I wrestled with these questions and prayed over what to preach on today, I began to look at John chapter 21. Now, a number of scholars have questioned why this chapter is even in John's gospel. That's the text of our message today, if you want to turn there. Chapter 20 tells the powerful story of Christ's resurrection, as we looked at last week. And the last verse of that chapter seems like a perfect ending for the entire book. But then there's chapter 21. There have never been found any ancient manuscripts of the Gospel of John without chapter 21. And all or nearly all biblical scholars agree that the writing style in chapter 21 is John's style. It's the same as the rest of the Gospel. So the chapter is authentic. But why is it there? As I studied this chapter, I came to the conclusion that it's there to show followers of Jesus what life should be like after Easter. To show how we should live in the light of Christ's resurrection. To show the difference that the resurrection should make. And so this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to answer the question, how should we live in response to Christ's resurrection. How should we live in response to Christ's resurrection? The first answer to that question is that we need to beware of the call of the familiar way of life. Beware of the call of the familiar way of life. I'm reading in John 21, verse 1. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore... But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. The disciples had been through a lot. The triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that last week, what we call Passion Week, intense teaching, Jesus sharing his heart near the, uh, in, in the time leading up to his suffering, the, the arrest and trial of Jesus and his crucifixion on the cross and the, the heartbreak they experienced and then the exhilaration of the resurrection that Easter Sunday. And then uh, he appeared to them as we shared last Sunday on uh, a few occasions afterward. You think you had a busy week last week. They, had a, they were on an emotional roller coaster. And so uh, the angel had said at the tomb, Jesus will meet you in Galilee, even though he had appeared to them a few times in the Jerusalem area. So they went to Galilee, and while they're there, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now when Peter says, I'm going fishing, he wasn't talking about just having a leisurely afternoon, okay? Matter of fact, he went at night. You remember what the profession of many of the disciples was when Jesus first called them, the beginning of the Gospels. They were fishermen. That's how they earned their living. So Peter said, I'm going fishing. The other ones, there, there are seven of them, five here are named. The other two were possibly Andrew and Philip, but we're not sure. But they said, we'll go with you. So they fish all night long because that's the best time to fish. They get nothing. And Jesus appears on the shore, although they weren't sure it was him at first, says, put your net on the other side of the boat. Now, these were professionals, okay? They'd been away from it for a few years. They'd been following Jesus, but they knew what they were doing. But they went ahead and did that, and they caught in a, a large haul of fish. Later in the chapter, it tells us 153 fish. And uh, so they begin to start bringing those to shore. But as I said, the first way we should respond to the resurrection is to beware of the call of the familiar way of life. Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with fishing, all you fishermen, okay? It's an honorable profession. It's how these disciples, as I said, earned a living before Jesus called them. And after the resurrection, as I mentioned, they were told to meet Christ in Galilee. So here they are. They haven't received any final word from Jesus and um, any final instructions. So they're probably thinking they need to, you know, begin to earn a living again, at least for the time being. Also, consider the fact Jesus didn't scold them for fishing, did he? Matter of fact, he helped them uh, gather a huge haul of fish. So I don't believe they did anything necessarily wrong by fishing. So Pastor Tim, what's the problem? Well, the issue is this. Fishing is not what Jesus called them to. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. He had greater plans for them. And in the early part of the Gospels, it says they left their nets by the seashore and they left everything to follow him. Now, none of the events that took place ever rescinded his call to follow him and to become fishers of men, did it? 
And so the problem wasn't that there was something wrong with fishing. The problem was they reverted back to their familiar way of life, to the way things were, to the routine of the past, instead of moving forward into what God had for them. God had greater things for them. And as I said, I began to contemplate what would Harvest Church be like the Sunday after Easter? What would our attendance be? We have our answer. Because it's human nature to settle into the comfortable. It's human nature to settle into the routine. Yes, we had a great weekend last weekend. But what about now? Where do we go from here? You know, after the big event of the birth of a new baby, a couple can't just say, well, get home from the hospital. Well, that was a great event. Wow. I mean, what a, a beautiful baby. That was exciting. Wow. Well, it'll be good to get back into our familiar routine like it was before. You don't say that. Why? Because your life will never, ever be like it was before. Right, parents? You're going to have middle-of-the-night feedings. And getting in the car to go somewhere... You used to do that in about 30 seconds. Now it's going to take you 30 minutes at least. Right? Life's not the same. Yeah, it was a big event, but it wasn't just a big event from which you can go back to your regular routine. It was a big event that changed your life forever. And that's what the resurrection should be like. The fact that Jesus is alive. The fact that he has conquered death for us. The fact that we are victorious. The fact that as we sang, we're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin. We no longer have to fear the final enemy of death, but we've been set free. Hallelujah. That we no longer need to settle back into our familiar way of life, but that God has a plan for us. That God has a future for us. Hallelujah. But we love those routines. We love that comfort zone, don't we? My prayer, my desire for Harvest Church this year, 2023, is that following, uh, following the resurrection, our celebration of the resurrection, the attendance today notwithstanding, that this would be a turning point for our church, that we would be empowered by the resurrection life with Jesus Christ, that we would move forward, that we wouldn't uh, settle uh, for uh, the, the familiar, the routine, the mundane, the, the, the as it's always been kind of routine but that we would be hungry to move forward in God that we would live resurrection life to its fullest and if we are to live in response to the resurrection of Jesus I believe we need to be aware of the call of the familiar we need to be aware of the call of the comfortable Beware of the call of the as it's always been and say, God, I want to move into a new realm. I want to move forward in you. I want to experience resurrection life in its fullest. How about you today? Have you settled in? Is that routine just calling you, that familiar way of life? Or are you saying, Lord, I want more. I want more. I want more of you. Beware of the call of the familiar way of life. What's the second thing we need to do to live in response to the resurrection? Number two, pursue the continuation of fellowship with Jesus. It says in verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. 
and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Can you imagine how they felt? Jesus said, come have breakfast. Come have breakfast. And he began to break the bread and the fish. Can you imagine? Just, just a short time earlier, he was dead and buried. Now he's breaking bread like he did before. I, I mean, what, what would it have been like to, been, to have been there? They must have had goosebumps, right? It really is the Lord. They'd already seen him, but it's the Lord. He's breaking the bread. He's breaking the fish. He's having fellowship with us. And, and, and Jesus wants to fellowship with you and me. We know the word fellowship is from the Greek word koinonia. It means to share something in common. And we think of fellowship as, you know, social times, and that's part of it, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's having a common bond. And Jesus Christ, the Lord, the creator of the universe, wants to have fellowship with you and me. How awesome is that? 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. 1 John 1.3 says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, there, there's nothing wrong with big events. I'm, I'm going back to that for a minute. We had, we, you know, we had three big events rolled into one uh, last weekend. And we, we, we like to have big events. We plan big events throughout the year, as you know, if you've been here. And any, any church would do that. And, and, and we love to do that. But I think we need to be careful as individuals and as a church of becoming event-oriented. Where we can get up for a big event, but then it's... And I understand you're busy. Sometimes you need to catch your breath. I even have said sometimes, boy, after Easter I need to catch my breath. And I do. I understand that. But we are more sometimes event-oriented than relationship-oriented. God wants us to be relationship-oriented. He wants us to fellowship with Him. He wants us to commune with Him. How do we do that? Through being in church and worshiping Him together, through having time in prayer, through having uh, time reading the Word of God, fellowshipping with Him, meditating upon the Scriptures. Sometimes when you're in your car, turn the radio off, turn the music off, and just dwell in God's presence. Fellowship with Him. You ever hear preachers or somebody say, boy, God spoke to me and He said such and such. God never speaks to me. Well, do we ever turn everything off enough to listen to Him? To let Him speak to our spirit? God wants to fellowship with us. We need to pursue the continuation of fellowship with Jesus. Back in, in 2012, some of you know I am a, 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 a bit of a Notre Dame football fanatic. And uh, I know it's a Catholic school, I'm a Pentecostal, don't, don't ask, it's, it's a long story. 
but I, I love Notre Dame football. And, and in 2012, I, I got with a friend of mine, got to go out to a big game uh, out, out at Notre Dame. And they had a, a linebacker, a, a star football player named Manti Teo. Any of you ever remember that name? Uh, he was from Hawaii. And he, they had a pep rally that night, night before the game. He was a rock star. I mean, he finished second in the Heisman voting that year, which was a big award. Well, during the year, they had just had a, 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 a interest story. ESPN had it about how he had suffered a great loss. He lost his grandmother and his girlfriend, uh, from, his girlfriend from leukemia in the same week. And it was a touching story and how he went out and, and, and played and played well with a, with a broken heart and went through the sea. It was a great, great story. And as I said, he, he, he almost won the Heisman. It was a great story. Well, it came out in the January before their big bowl game against Alabama, which they lost. But anyway, it came out. That girlfriend never existed. It was a hoax perpetrated on him. And uh, he had seen pictures online and had talked with someone who is it's kind of bizarre, really. Perpetrated a hoax on him. He had never seen her. She never existed. And of course, it became the the cause for a lot of uh, jokes and a lot of, uh, a lot of memes uh, about the girlfriend who didn't exist. But you know what? I'm glad we serve a Jesus who's real. I'm glad we serve a Jesus who is there, who exists, and who wants to fellowship with us. Hallelujah. There'll be people saying he's not real, people saying he's not alive. There'll be people saying if he even existed, he was just a figure in the past, in the history. But I want you to know Jesus is not only alive, he's here today. Amen. He's walking up and down these aisles by his Holy Spirit. He wants to walk with you when you get up in the morning, when you face that, that difficult uh, situation at work, when you deal with that difficult relationship uh, when you agonize over that thorny problem he says he is with you he wants to fellowship with you he wants to speak words of wisdom into your spirit he wants to encourage you he wants to lift you up he wants to undergird you he wants to fellowship with you when you don't know where to turn and what to do he wants to give you wisdom and insight he wants to walk with you and fellowship with you hallelujah talk about living in response to the resurrection. We proclaim on Easter Sunday, he's alive and, and, and we shout it from the housetops. But then we live, unfortunately, the other 51 weeks of the year as if he's not alive, as if he's still in the tomb. Today's a week after Easter. Is Jesus still alive? Is he still here? Is he still powerful? Hallelujah. You bet he is. Hallelujah. It should be our desire to fellowship with him, to to, to have relationship with him. Thank God for big events, but let's not be so event-oriented. Let's be relationship-oriented. Hallelujah. Events come and go, but relationship is daily. It's hourly. It's moment by moment. Hallelujah. He's with us. He wants to fellowship with us. Hallelujah. How's your relationship with Jesus? Well, Pastor Tim, I accepted the Lord in 2005. No, I, I'm glad you did. We, we need to accept the Lord. But that's not what I'm talking about. How's your relationship with him? Lord, I want Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to live as if you're truly alive. Hallelujah. We need to pursue the continuation of fellowship with him. What's the third thing we need to do in response to the resurrection? It's this. Demonstrate love for Christ by fulfilling his purpose. 
Demonstrate love for Christ by fulfilling his purpose. In verse 15, it says, When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I want to mention just briefly, because some of you may be familiar, there are a couple difficulties with this passage, uh, or a couple questions that, of interpretation. The first one is, when Jesus says, uh, John, uh, uh, Simon, and he calls him by his original name, Simon, instead of the name he, Jesus gave him, Peter, he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Uh, some feel he could be referring to the, the trappings of his former lifestyle that he'd just gone back to. Do you love me more than, you know, the, 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 the fishing, the boat, the... The, the, the occupation, all the trappings of your former life. Others feel he's saying, do you love me more than these men, these other disciples? Because Peter at one point had said, Jesus, I love you. Uh, I'll love you more than anyone and I'll serve you. Uh, I'll be with you to the end. Another difficulty is that in the, in the Greek here in John's gospel, uh, Jesus' first two questions saying, John, do you love me? The word for love is agape which we know is a godly love. And Peter's uh, responses are, Lord, I love you. He uses the Greek word phileo. You've heard of the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love? That's what it means. I don't know how much it's true but, uh, these days. It, it, phileo is uh, a, like a brother, it's a fondness. Peter, do you love me, agape? Yes, Lord, I love you, phileo, fond of you. Peter, again, do you love me, agape? Yes, Lord, I am fond of you, phileo. And then the third time, Jesus uses phileo. says, do you, phileo, do you love me? Are you fond of me, even? And, and, and Peter was hurt. And some scholars see significance in this. Others say that there's really not significance in that. So I'm not here to answer those questions. just want to make you aware of those. But... Either way, the point of this exchange, I want you to catch this, don't be lost in the details. The point of this exchange is seen in Jesus' commands for Peter to uh, feed his lambs or tend his sheep, feed his sheep. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, if you love me, fulfill my purpose for your life. And that's how we show our love to God, by living by his agenda. By his purpose. Did you know God has a purpose for your life? Did you know that? And did you know he had a purpose for your life before you were even born? Before you were even conceived? My favorite verse in the whole Bible. It's hard to have a favorite, but my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Psalm 139, verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I love that. God had a plan for my life before I was even conceived. And he did for you as well. Ephesians 3 verse 20, or excuse me, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If we love him, we will be fulfilling his purpose. 
If someone asked you, what is the purpose of your life? What is your purpose in life? What, what, what is, what is a, a supremely important in your life? What would you say? We demonstrate our love for Christ by fulfilling his purpose. What's your purpose in life? What drives you? What moves you? Lord, let us be committed to your purpose. Say, Pastor Tim, I don't know what my purpose is. Well, we want to pray for you. We want to help you know what your purpose is. And and, and there are ways to discern that. And and it begins with your passion. God will give you a passion for something. And and, and God will help you. And, And Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? then fulfill my purpose for your life. Be about my business. Fulfill my purpose for your life. What's the fourth way we should respond to the resurrection of of Christ? It's this, understand the cost of following Jesus on the path chosen for us. Verse 18, Jesus still speaking to Peter. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So Jesus says, when you're old, your hands are going to be stretched out, and someone will lead you where you do not want to go. And the scripture says he did this to indicate the death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, scripture doesn't record the death of Peter, but tradition, church tradition, very well founded, says that Peter was crucified on a cross, but upside down. Because he said, I'm not worthy to be... Uh, to, to, to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. And so he was crucified upside down. And, and so Jesus indicated that there would be a cost to following Jesus. And so Peter sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, John's writing the gospel. It's not named, but all, pretty much all scholars agree that it was Apostle John, the disciple John here, Peter says, you know, human nature, right? Peter says, well, what about him? Jesus said, well, you know, if I want him to stay alive until I return, indicating, you know, a long period of time, if I want him to stay alive, what is that to you? Follow me. And a rumor sprang up, oh, John's going to be alive forever. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, but if that's what I want, what's that to you? We get our eyes on other people, don't we? and their life, and things go wrong in our lives, and we say, boy, it doesn't seem like so-and-so has those kind of difficulties. seems like smooth sailing for them. Why do I have to deal with what I have to deal with? Because we all have our own path to walk on. We all follow Jesus on our own path. Amen?
Philippians 3.10 says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Following Jesus on the path that he's marked out for us will cost us something. It says in Hebrews uh, that we must follow him on the path marked out for us. My path isn't like your path. Your path's not the same as my path. Isn't that right? But for every one of us, there will be a cost to following Jesus. We preached on it several weeks ago. If anyone wants to follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. There's a cost. According to the 2013 movie, Terms and Conditions May Apply, it would take the average American 180 hours per year to read all the terms and conditions he or she agrees to on websites and other agreements. You know those terms and conditions? And the little, little tiny print that I can't ever read anymore. It's no wonder everyone always checks the box. I, I've read, I agree to these conditions. We don't know what we're agreeing to because we don't want to spend 180 hours per year reading them, right? In fact, most of us wouldn't understand it if we read it because it's filled with legal jargon. And the point of the movie is that we are often agreeing to things that could end up costing us that which we never expected. And many people who make a decision for Christ don't read the terms and conditions before saying yes. Yes, coming to Jesus is the greatest decision one can ever make. We find purpose in life. We find meaning in life. We, we, we find the answer to life's questions in giving our life to Jesus. And it's the greatest decision you could ever make, but there's a cost to following Jesus. And so we must understand the cost of following Jesus on the path chosen for us. Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to pay the price? That's what we must do in response to the resurrection. In conclusion, we asked the question at the beginning, how should we live in response to Christ's resurrection? How should it make a difference, in other words, in our lives? First of all, beware of the call of the familiar way of life. Beware of just settling in to life as it was before, as if there was no resurrection, as if it doesn't make a difference. Secondly, pursue the continuation of fellowship with Jesus. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. It's the, you know, we, we have wonderful relationships here on earth, but there's no greater relationship than the one we can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Pursue the continuation of fellowship with Jesus. Thirdly, demonstrate love for Christ by fulfilling his purpose. For your life his purpose and number four understand the cost of following Jesus on the path chosen for us understand there's a cost are you willing to pay the price to follow Jesus on the path chosen for you I want to close with this this may be familiar to some of you a prayer entitled the fellowship of the unashamed is a prayer that has inspired many to stand strong in their faith and to live unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This prayer was found among the papers of a young African pastor who was martyred in Zimbabwe over 100 years ago. He was martyred for his faith. I want you to listen to this prayer. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. 
I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a prayer. And this young man gave his life for Jesus Christ. My prayer today is that this prayer may reflect the mindset of all of us whose lives have been eternally impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us move forward. The time for compromise is over. The time for settling is over. Hallelujah. The resurrection has taken place. He's alive. He's here with us. He's empowering us by his Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to greater things. Hallelujah. Church, let's not settle in a pool of media but let's move forward and be great for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God.